You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Lucinda Larnock. This is the WFHB Local News 4, Thursday, May 5th, 2022. Later in the program, we have an excerpt from Interchange, the knowledge of power, graduate worker exploitation at Indiana University. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, the Bloomington Board of Zoning Appeals met late last month to discuss a sidewalk on a property on West 7th Street. That's coming up in your daily headlines. At the Bloomington Board of Zoning Appeals meeting on April 21st, Planning Development and Services Manager Jackie Scanlon presented a petition for a sidewalk variance on a property located at 935 West 7th Street. Scanlon shared that the petitioners were informed of the sidewalk standards when they were building the house and that it was included in their site plans. When we realized, um, going through our records, that the sidewalk that was agreed upon here and required by code was not built, um, we contacted the petitioner with a notice of violation uh, that they had violated their certificate of zoning compliance and um, that their occupancy uh, um, is contingent upon meeting those requirements, and one of the requirements is for a new home to build sidewalk. Um, it, which the petitioner does know, we have extensive um, emails with former staff um, going, uh, discussing the requirements for this property. Um, <clears throat> so then the petitioner decided to request the variance uh, as opposed to building. Scanlon said that city staff visited the site and deemed that it would be feasible to include a sidewalk. Scanlon shared why this property having a sidewalk is important for the future of sidewalk connectivity in the area. Um, there are no sidewalks immediately to the south. Uh, there are multiple properties. Were those to develop in the future, if there's no sidewalk here, then no sidewalk will be required there because the way that the sidewalk requirement works, uh, you only have to put in the sidewalk for new single family if you are immediately adjacent to existing sidewalk. That's a change we made in, oh gosh, 2017 or 2018 um, because uh, uh, people's concern about having to put in sidewalks for single family that we're never going to connect. So we worked um, with members of the public and the council and changed the regulations to what they are now, which is only if you're part of an existing uh, network, then you need to extend the network. So that's the case here as well. The petitioner, Patrick McAleer, presented to the board explaining why they are requesting the variance. I'd like to provide some background on how we got here in the first place and then provide support based on previous and current UDOs and the transportation plan on why we disagree uh, respectfully uh, and believe the variance should be granted. Uh, we'd like to briefly discuss some of the environmental effects of being forced to construct a sidewalk on, an, on a portion of North Elm between 6th and 7th and discuss the negative impacts on our neighbors and our neighborhood. Lastly, I'd like lastly, I think it's most important to hear from our neighbors in attendance and possibly on Zoom. 
So first, some background. In 2019, I put an offer on to purchase the lot at 935 West 7th that had been vacant for at least 25 years. I met with the city, Amelia, who was assigned to my permit, and she was delightful. I was immediately told I didn't have to put in a sidewalk. So I started in on the closing process. Maybe a week later, I saw Amelia at the Grand Falloon concert where she was volunteering. We chatted a little bit, and she told me that she might have bad news about the sidewalk and that she was leaving the city. Then I was assigned to my next city planner, Ryan. Ryan informed me I would have to construct a sidewalk to receive a permit. He relayed the message for the city three different times in three different ways. First, he confirmed I would need to build a curb, a five foot, have a five-foot green space, and then a five-foot sidewalk, like you might see in any new development in Bloomington, which with setbacks wouldn't allow me to build a house wide enough to fit the historical aesthetic of the neighborhood. The width of our lot is only I thought it was 48, it's actually 46 feet from the last little thing. Then, so after I went back to them and told them that, then he changed his mind, or the city changed their mind to a five foot monolithic curb and sidewalk. Then they came back to me with their final answer, a six foot monolithic curb and sidewalk, and when I asked why the change, the city's reasoning, and again, he's just relaying this, was to meet the width of the sidewalk at the Banneker Center. I was a little bit of disbelief, and frankly, I knew nothing about the variance process or UDOs at this point, but Ryan said I could apply for a variance in the future based on the upcoming version of the 2020 UDO that was in progress or final stages. The board voted to postpone their decision on the sidewalk variance to consult with the city staff again. The next meeting will be held on May 26th. In today's feature report, we have an excerpt from Interchange, our public affairs program devoted to answering the questions that shape how we understand ourselves. This excerpt comes from the live broadcast last Tuesday, where host Doug Storm interviewed members of the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition who have been on strike for almost a month. Storm welcomes three PhD candidates at Indiana University. Marina Mecham is in the History Department, Ann Kavalerchik is in the Sociology and Informatics Department, and Nathan Douglas is in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese. The conversation begins with host Doug Storm asking our guests about IU President Pamela Witten's doctoral thesis. We turn now to an excerpt from Interchange on WFHB. Our show is The Knowledge of Power, IU Graduate Worker Exploitation. Our three guests today are all PhD candidates in various departments at Indiana University. We're discussing the graduate worker strike, the formation of a union, the lack of recognition of that union by the university, and the business ideology embedded in IU leaders like new university president Pamela Witten. Uh, our guests uh, today, um, Marina Meekum, Ann Kavalerchek, Nathan Douglas. That's the easy one. <laughs> so, um, so pronounced Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> I know how to I know how to pronounce that one. Uh, in this segment, we're going to turn our attention to IU President Pamela Witten's doctoral thesis conferred by the University of Kansas in 1996, titled 
Transcending the Technology of Telemedicine, a case study of telemedicine in North Carolina, which kind of surprised me in 1996 is a long time ago. It seemed, it feels like to me it was 26 years. Um, and now, you know, as I've been sort of, uh, you think about these kinds of, you know, um, medical situations with, you know, cameras in, in operating rooms that are operated by doctors in, in different states or different you know, that kind of situation. So it seems like this may not be exactly like that, but it's, it seems fairly similar. So I'm kind of interested to find out <laughs> what she has to say about it. So Marina uh, Meekham, grad student in history, you're going to take the lead on this one. Um, so why did you think this 26-year-old thesis was worth taking a look at, and how does it sort of fit into our perspective here in, in, in your situation? Well, I mean, this is obviously coming from my training as an historian. I think it's really important to understand how people come to think different things, how their thought process changes over time. Um, so when we look at academics who then become administrators, I think it's important to trace kind of their journey of how they came in, like shifted from mm. doing academic work into administrative work and maybe like do their morals or values kind of shift and change along the way. So, um, as I mentioned, the title was Telemedicine, uh, and if you look at Pamela Witten's CV, it's entirely telemedicine in terms of publishing. Obviously, she's got lots of uh, bureaucratic positions in other institutions, universities, uh, Kennesaw, uh, Michigan, somewhere. I'm, I'm not sure exactly where. But so she's, she's focused in her own uh, corporate field or work field or research field on telemedicine seems exclusively I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true or not but um, that seems fascinating to me like I don't, I don't yeah. know if it is to anybody else yeah I mean it is really interesting it's interesting to me I my own work is on um, healthcare in South Africa so mm. anytime something is healthcare related I'm like ooh, that's interesting yeah. to me um, but What's really interesting about Witten's dissertation is it sort of reads like a public health piece, mm. but her work, her research is not in public health. Her PhD is in communications, right. um, which was another interesting factor of this because Witten has remained entirely silent on the issue of graduate work, graduate labor, unionization, the strike. We have not heard a single word from President Witten this entire time. And so she's putting this work and this labor onto the provost and the vice president provosts. Um, so you'd think someone whose education and research and experience is in communication would want to communicate with graduate workers. So she's making other people do the dirty work? Is that what you're saying? By I mean, the other people are having to deal with the strike situation so she can stay clean of it? Or... I mean, that's an, obviously an opinion on my part. So. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what I take away from reading her dissertation. I don't know if either of you have different takes on that. I haven't heard anything else. Uh, if she would like to communicate something to the contrary, I think we would all welcome the chance to hear right. literally anything. Okay. <laughs> so in her vast career as um, a university administrator, nothing like this shows up in any of the work she'd done prior to this either. I don't know if there's been any of these situations that she's had to deal with at other institutions. I, I think actually it does. There, I think she actually does have prior work um, in terms of... Um, 
quashing graduate worker unionization oh. and you know contributing to the neoliberalization of mm. education. She, uh, I um, sort of mixed up her previous two institutions, one Georgia State and Kennesaw. In Kennesaw, yeah, yeah but Atlanta-based. Um, but yeah. I think at um, either one or both of those, she, uh, you know, from what I read, is that her her actions as an administrator contributed to the de degradation of t the tenure system, which is mm. really critical for academic job security and right. academic and academic freedom mm -hmm. as well. Um, and I believe she also performed a very similar um, uh, a similar role in quashing uh, worker unionization on those campuses. And what is also notable about that is um, the new provost who started in February of this year was very clearly hired to union bust. That yeah. is what he did at universities previous. And he is also the vice president who serves at Bloomington um, and works directly for President Witten. Hmm. What was his name? Raul Srivastav. Okay. And I believe yes. the two of them actually worked with one another at their previous two institutions as well. Yes. Is that right? Well, that's yes. also fascinating. Yes. Okay. I agree. It's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, we see a hire that seems to have been directed to do specific tasks, yes. not just the provost, but also the president as well, coming in at the time she did. Yes. Yeah. And I believe he admitted that of his own oh, sort really? of volition in a meeting. I don't know if it was prompted or not, but... Uh, Hmm. They are his words. <laughs> he did admit that. Well, uh, Marina, can you tell us a little bit more about, um, I mean, it, it's not a surprise to me that she's silent on, on these particular issues. It is interesting that these people usually are graduate. I mean, obviously, she's a PhD, right? She's been a graduate student, and obviously things are different than they were in 19. 90 whenever she started this her particular uh, program so the world is a different place and obviously as as Anne just mentioned we're in uh, neoliberal university overdrive uh, having no tenure is the is the greatest thing in the world for a neoliberal university you don't have to, any guarantees you can shop around for people you can cut people loose whenever you feel like mm -hmm. you can have the kinds of people you want you can have Anne Rand books in your in your court you know you can have the foundation pay for everything and have right. those, et cetera et cetera all these things are negative so what is it in this particular thesis that you discovered that was was anything surprising about it or what what is it that you felt would would show you what she's going to do here what she plans to do yeah there's actually um several big things in the way she talks about communication within organizational systems uh the way she talks about workers and um how communication between leadership um, functions to workers doing the groundwork and uh, a few other points too so I'll kind of just go through chronologically right, sure. here through mm -hmm. her dissertation um, the first thing that kind of comes up for me is the way she kind of frames her dissertation in the structure of communication so Witten talks about the social construction of organizations and how they communicate which is a little jargony so what what that essentially means is that organizations such as telehealth care systems or in this case a university um, kind of define and create how they communicate with each other how they communicate within those systems um, as the organization comes together and as it functions but it also according to Witten is like organizations have the ability to in her words create and design communicational patterns but they also in her words have the community 
uh, the ability and the duty to recreate and redesign their communicational patterns. Mm. Um, so what is interesting about this in this situation is uh, graduate workers at IU trying to unionize, which gives us the ability to bargain for our um, financial security, for better benefits, um, are trying to redefine and recreate the way we can communicate in the university system because the way we communicate within the system now is not useful. Like, it, it, it's broken. Mm -hmm. um, this is a point that's come from the provost um, who says he's me met with us 17 times to talk about issues and listened. Um, but we've been having these conversations. I've been having these conversations and involved with the union since 2018. Mm. Um so these are not new, um, and the provost is trying to say that this is true. Um, they're also communicating with us on their terms. Um, sure. They're having committees. They're having listening sessions um, that are not really listening sessions, but the provost is showing up and telling us what we need instead of listening to what we're asking for, which is union recognition. Right. Um, and along with that, it's not only this refusal to recreate or redefine communication patterns with graduate students, but actually the refusal to communicate with us in general. Um, because really what we're asking for here in, with union recognition is for the president and or the provost to sit down and have a conversation with us about a union, mm -hmm. um, which they have repeatedly refused. You're listening to an excerpt from Interchange, the knowledge of power, graduate worker exploitation at Indiana University. This episode features three guests from the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition in light of their recent strike against Indiana University. We now turn back to that segment. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our show is The Knowledge of Power, IU and Graduate Worker Exploitation. Uh, currently, we're talking uh, with Marina Meekham about uh, Pamela Witten's uh, doctoral thesis uh, on telemedicine. I interestingly, like trying to understand what you're saying about uh, communication or shaping communication and having the institution itself, the organization, shape its responses. These, I don't think these are strange ideas obviously this is how we socially construct ourselves anyway so the idea would seem to me that you know she might be trying to apply these particular uh, ideas to to reshaping your communication right and that's uh, perhaps what the listening committees are supposed to do or whatever you know to sort of shape the space you're in but uh, i i guess um what i'm what i'm after really is not like i don't think these things surprise me is there is there a way in which you thought that her having this particular uh perspective on the thesis would show her in some sort of um the show that she was not true to what she thought was a good way to be you know like she would say let's form a particular kind of institution let's learn to communicate together let's do these things in a way that we think is positive but when you're you know a named high, best ceo in atlanta for your work at kennesaw <laughs> which you know is just it's kind of ridiculous but i understood now that we're in a business university for the most part this is not this is not new with pamela Witten, right so you know, this seems like that's what she wants to do. Again, to me, 
this is telemedicine and IU and hospital and IUPUI. You know, everything is is geared in this direction in a lot of ways, right? So fighting against this is important, mm -hmm. but this seems to me what she's here for. So did you discover something in there that you thought, you know, this, this can turn around with her, or do you just expect her to be always driving against your particular path? I mean, I guess... I don't know that it's surprising um, because it's not uncommon to see uh, people who once held maybe progressive or liber liberal views sure. change their opinions yeah. um, over time, especially if they end up in administrative or CEO sort of work. They start making work. money. Is yeah, exactly. The issue, right? yeah. Um, so I actually have a little bit of her dissertation I can read a section yeah, of, right. but I'm going to frame it a little bit here first. Um, so... A big chunk of her methods and talking about why she was doing this work on telehealth care and why it's important in her dissertation is uh, Witten at this time was really concerned about the well-being mm. of organizational members within um, healthcare and mm. within telehealth. She was really concerned about how the people delivering these healthcare systems, i.e. the nurses doing all of the groundwork, right. were affected and how they were operating within these organizational structures. Um, so there's a really significant mm. body of work in her dissertation and from her research that is uh, devoted specifically to workers' well-being, um, which is significant thinking about our current strike in position where we're asking for a living wage so that we can have the health care we need and have roofs over our head and not be worrying about if we can afford groceries this month or God forbid we need an emergency root canal or something, you know? Um, so this is the line that stuck out to me the most of this whole dissertation. Um, so on the bottom of page 31 of her dissertation, uh, Witten says that if the healthcare provider is stressed from organizational impediments to providing telemedical care, she or he will suffer physically and or emotionally, thus impacting his or her ability to operate effectively in the organizational context. Because healthcare organizations are so dependent upon the orchestration of a multitude of providers with various skills, healthcare organizations cannot afford to fall apart because of weaknesses in organizational communication or through employees adversely affected by perceived characteristics of orga organizational context. Hmm. So essentially what she's saying here is that it's really important to take care of your workers, that they are okay, that they are healthy mentally and physically, that they are able to do their work. Um, there's also a bit in here that speaks to Witten's future and administration where she's concerned about healthcare organizations' reliance on um, workers. Mm -hmm. uh, but it still, at the end, comes back to this concern for the workers themselves and being okay and then being able to operate and be communicated with effectively mm. within an organization. What was happening in the organization that would stress them out with telemedicine was the idea that you weren't able to um, care for people um, in the 
because you had a lot of people to deal with versus, you know, seeing so many people physically uh, at one time then having to see maybe 10 times the number of people mm-hmm. telemedically or whatever through telehealth care, you know, and having to deal with the stress of the technology. I think technology itself can be a stress in this situation as well, having to deal with new technologies and not actually serving people, but serving a technology, a medium through which you, you try to help people. So what, are, what were the stressors there? Right. So essentially what shows up in her research on this is um, a lack of communication with the workers who were doing most of the actual labor. So what is happening in these early uh, telemedical settings, she's looking at rural health care and she's working at telehealth in prison systems and kind of the shift from prison systems to rural health care. So... On the ground where the telehealth is being provided, um, it is nurses who are overworked, who are trying to learn new technology without a lot of support or help, um, who are seeing a lot of people all of the time. And these nurses are setting up appointments with doctors, maybe an oncologist in the city. Um, They are setting up not just doctors, but also the patients. They're doing essentially all of the administrative and in-person physical labor. They may need to like um, touch and describe certain medical conditions to the doctors on the telehealth system. Um, but what happens and what Witten highlights as a problem is the doctors in the city um, don't really see these nurses as doing all of this work or this labor. They check in for a quick phone call, give some advice, and get off the phone. Right. They're not really involved, but they think that they're doing all of the work and they're not communicating with the nurses on the ground, which leads to healthcare problems, or they're not, um, they get frustrated maybe when a call gets canceled and not realizing all of these um, problems that the nurses on the ground are dealing with. Um, And so Witten specifically targets this as a breakdown in a communication is adversely affecting and putting more stress on the workers who are not paid as much and who are doing way more than they should be doing. That was an excerpt from Interchange, The Knowledge of Power, Graduate Worker Exploitation at Indiana University. To listen to the full hour-long show, visit WFHB.org following this broadcast. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. 
Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Doug Storm. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnock. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 